subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it here for the third week of Star Wars Month. <laughs> week for you already. And the best part is, May hasn't even begun yet for us. Can right? you believe it? I mean, to be fair, it is like on the cusp of being May. For you, I think it is the last day before May. Uh, you're just a May few hours 30... away from it. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah. Because is there 30 or 31? It's th- there's 30, 30 days. days in April. So, yeah, you're April. you're on the cusp of it, of it being May, and I still have about 20 hours before it'll be May. <laughs> And by the time this episode comes out, I'll be done with my short film. I will have done All Monsters Attack. I'll have my train tickets to G-Fest done. I will have put like $800 in on my car. We're going to have like two more episodes recorded. Mm. We're like, there's so much that's going to happen by the time this episode goes live for everybody else to hear. Mm. Pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But yes, we are back at it here for the third week of Star Wars Month. We have one more week and then we're done. And spoiler alert, we're going to take a little break from the weekly uploads. Yeah, very exhausting. It, it, (laughs) man, like, so not only do we have to, like, set aside, like, two hours to watch the movie, but then we also have to set aside, like, two to four hours of research and then for me, it's also like travel and setting up. And for you, I know it's setting up. And editing. and then it's and editing and then recording. And then there's just planning like th- I, this recording. We had to we had to chat a little bit on like delaying it. Mm-hmm. And like when we were going to like record. And even then, we're still three hours late to when we were going to record. Yeah, there's so much that goes into this. And I think. I mean, after this, we're We're taking a week off. (laughs) A little bit, but all the hard work will pay off. And think about this. This is going to be our last week recording weekly. Because after this, we have, well, you have a week off. I definitely don't. I definitely have at least like two recordings left. Uh, Well, I have a live stream probably and at least one or two recordings. Hmm. Um, I have to edit. Two bonus episodes still, so I, I'm I'm running behind on my work. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when I get back from vacation after your week off, I have to record, and you have to record. Mm. And then we still have one more before we take a break. And then I have to do one. <laughs> There's a lot. We're never going to have a breathing room. Especially you, it seems. <laughs> but yes, we're... We are back with Star Wars Month, but before we get into that, Rex, how have you been, buddy? Oh, absolutely wonderful. I haven't been as busy as you have, but still been slammed by life, unfortunately, um, this past week. (laughs) But somehow I'm still managing to keep up with uh, these weekly episodes um, in the editing, 
So that's good, at least. I mean, I gotta say, I'm really proud of how well we've been able to do this. Mm. But I'm not gonna miss the weekly uploads. I'm gonna be pretty happy when we oh, slow down am, a little I bit. I am going to be relieved. <laughs> yeah, we... I... <laughs> The the year of kaiju conversation is a very exhausting year. Mm. <laughs> I will say funny. next year, next year we're not going to be doing this much. Mm. We're going to slow down just a tad. Not a lot, just a tad though. Mm-hmm. I think. I hope. Well, we haven't planned the whole schedule yet, so. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. Subject to change. This is true. But we're gonna we should have a little more free time at that point, so it won't be as Ooh. awful. Maybe That'd be nice. Yeah. But have you watched any Tokusatsu? Uh a little bit. A little. <laughs> Last time I think I mentioned that I was watching the reboot of Ju- of the Juon franchise, and you know, pretty much straight after the recording, uh I did some stuff and then just popped on Juon, the final curse. So with that, you have watched all of Juon, the all Japanese, the side, Japanese right? films. Yes. And all you have left is, is it Grudge, Grudge 2, two Grudge, and Grudge 3? Yes. And okay. And then you're done. I know. <laughs> and then you have successfully watched all of the Ring films and the Juon films. Actually, I still need to watch the ring virus. <coughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah, that's the only—that's the only one I haven't seen. For ring. Gotcha. And then, what are you going to start horror-wise after that? Are you going to do one missed call? Are you going to do pulse? I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll have to think about. It. I mean, I need to continue the Tommy A series a bit. I need to mm-hmm. watch um. I think Replay is the next one that I need to see, being gotcha. the third film. I mean, if you do one missed call, you only have four movies and, like, six short films. Six short films? What the hell? There's, like, there's one for one missed call, three final, and I think there's, like, three for one missed call, two. Uh, I don't think one missed call, two has a title besides one missed call, two. Damn. <laughs> If you do Pulse, you only have one Japanese film and three American movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen half of Pulse. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about Pulse, I I'm ex- I, I feel like I'm gonna we'll be hated because I think we share a similar opinion on that. But I don't want to dive too much into that. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm willing to give it another chance. I don't know how I'll make it through it, but I'm willing to give it another chance. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But it would be better with more Koji Yakusha. Mm-hmm. You could start the Haunted Village trilogy that uh, Shimizu's doing. The Shimizu? Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. I mean, a new Which one are... comes out, like, later this year, I think. So Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You could watch the American version of Darkwater, if you haven't already. It is on Disney Plus here. So maybe there's so much you could do to knock out the major J horror stuff. Mm. 
I mean, you never know. I could I could go on the lower budget side too. Watch maybe something like Carved. <laughs> this is true. Merbito. Maybe. Or hell, even knock out some Sukamoto films. Yes. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, so, I, I, J-Horror, I feel like we, we talk a lot of J-Horror. I know. <laughs> um, Good. As we should. As we should. Beyond watching the final uh, Juon movies, what other uh, tokusatsu have you watched? Well, I'm... I'm getting pretty close to the halfway mark of Kamen Rider V3. Pretty nice. How's it? How is that series? Pretty good. A lot of two-parters, I must say, <laughs> which is pretty surprising. But honestly, a well, welcome change of pace. So, uh, Kamen Rider V3 was 1973 Wait. through 74. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, I was gonna say. I wonder if it had anything to do with like Return of Ultraman, but that was seventy one to seventy two. Mm. Um, I mean, Ace, which was seventy two to seventy three, had a lot of uh, two parters. Oh. If I remember correctly. Um, in addition to V three, though, I've I'm trying to get back into watching um, Ultra Q since you know I got most of the way through that series, but then I started watch. Then I went full throttle into Kamen Rider. And so mm-hmm. it kind of got put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. So I've got only a few episodes left of that. The last one yeah. I, episode I just watched was the one with like uh, the giant octopus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I mean, Ultra Q is actually pretty easy to sit through. There's only like twenty four episodes, right? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew it was like half of an Ultra show. Yeah, it's a pretty short of show. that time. <laughs> yeah. I need to sit through it. I, I haven't watched Ultra Q in like years. Mm. I must say, I was surprised watching um, this uh, this episode of Ultra Q, uh, the one with the giant octopus, and just thinking, this is literally just the King Kong vs. Godzilla, like Pharaoh Island sequence, stretched into an Ultra Q episode. <laughs> I mean... I guess we could say Superaya stole from Godzilla before Godzilla stole from Superaya. I mean, he took the suits from Godzilla. Quite a few of them. Because mm. you had Manda himself. You had yeah, you had Manda, Godzilla, King Kong, Baragon, um, Baragon, Giant Octopus from Giant Octopus, Odako, uh, Odaku, mm-hmm. um, Rodan. I think also got taken. Uh, yeah, they use a Rodan prop for La- Larugius, however it's mm-hmm. pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then countless sound effects and uh, beam effects. Yeah, even stock footage. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, stock footage from Rodan, stock footage from King Kong vs. Godzilla. There's a shot from uh, Invasion of Astro Monster that was reused in Ultra 7, I think, and then Return of Ultraman. I think so. It's the scene oh, where... Oh, is, like, is it like the... Um, like the, the, the people running... The building? Oh, yes. Yep, 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 yep. Yes. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I'm pretty sure even some buildings. Maybe. I mean, wouldn't be shocking. 
because I mean mm-hmm. the Godzilla series and has shared buildings between its own films, right? Numerous times, so wouldn't be shocking for Super Rider to use some of the Godzilla buildings for the Ultra series. And let's not forget actors, because oh, Kenji Sahara yeah. and all them got uh, some, Akira some Kubo, roles. Akihiko Hurata. <laughs> it, I don't think Takarada ever did. Did he? I said Hurata. I know, but did Tur- uh, Takarada? I don't think um, he did. I don't think so. He was too maybe, high profile. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe he thought TV was too low bar for him. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Handsome only does film roles. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, that's good. I Ultra Q is... I need to... Like I said, I need to rewatch it. It's been a long time since I have seen it. And when I watched it, I remember not liking it a lot. But I also went in expecting it to be color and dubbed. Mm-hmm. I was naive. And when it wasn't in color and when it wasn't dubbed, I was like, oh my god. But since then, I've sat through Ultraman Taro, which has made me reconsider all of my life choices. <laughs> and since then, you've understood that subs are good. But I still say dubs are superior. We are not the same. We are not. You are wrong and I am right. How am I wrong? Just your opinion on things. Like what? Evangelion. Um, Evangelion is incredible. You're listing for the J-horror movies. Uh, your opinions on Anno. Okay, uh, I'll agree. My, 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 the J-horror, I, I take it all back just to put Ring at the top now. <laughs> I I've come to my senses and realized Ring in in the in the times I've now seen it since that I've come to my senses and realized Ring is incredible. Fair enough. <laughs> but beyond Common Rider V3 and Ultra Q, have you watched any other Tokusatsu? Hmm. Well, I did. I did watch a a a movie for today, I believe. Yeah, I watched... the next Star Wars film in the yeah, franchise. I think so. I think so. Yeah, but you're gonna have. So was Hiroyuki Sonata in it by any chance? Because I watched yes. the film with him. Oh, great, yes. great, great! So are we covering uh, Tom Cruise's The Last Samurai today? No, we're covering uh, the Bullet Train. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't watch Bullet Train. I oh. did watch The Last Samurai. Oh. Sonata was very cool in it, even though he's barely in it. I mean, fair. You know, <laughs> it's all fun and games until you realize Hiroki... Hiro- oh my god, I can't say his name. <laughs> Sonata. I'm just going to call him Sonata. Is in literally the second biggest movie of all time. What, Avengers Endgame? Yes. Mm. For a cameo role, sure, but nonetheless, yeah. I mean, he's probably he's, by just by that credit alone, he's probably one of, if not the most high-profile like Toku actor out there. Oh, absolutely. But before we get into the cast, because that's my job. Yeah, but I gotta I gotta steal it just to mention Hiroyuki Sonata, our favorite star of Ring. 
Yes, I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. Like, he, he's like the golden child of Ring. That's what Ring's been missing for decades, is bringing him back. Yes. Oh, my God. Adapt loop. Adapt birthday. Oh, my God. <laughs> to be Please. fair, birthday did get adapted. Yeah, but they only adapted, like, one third of it. It just adapted the, the actual story titled Happy Birthday in it. Please. Oh, Fair. my God. it The movie should not be called Birthday. Fair enough. But, you know, for me, I, I only... <laughs> for now. Yeah. For now. Next episode, um, I can't promise I won't bring it up again. I mean, it just... <laughs> It's we all we always come back to it. It's a loop. We just spiral. Yeah, shut up. We're not doing this bit again. The ring We're not universe. doing this bit again. <laughs> We're not doing this bit again. I know. I, I used to it, up it again last in time. editing. I had to listen to it in editing. You know, with with my busy schedule, because I mean, I've been busy working on my car, working at work, planning for all monsters attack, and filming my next short film. I haven't had time to really watch anything. Besides the next Star Wars movie, we are now on to the third Star Wars film. Everybody knows it. It's probably the most prolific of all of the Star Wars films. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, If I remember right, because of the war in space did so well, they wanted to quickly make a sequel. Mm -hmm. But this time they wanted to give it like the biggest budget possible. Yeah. Um in fact like the biggest budget Japan had ever produced at the time. Yeah, and they um, got a pretty a pretty uh pretty high profile or at least soon to be high profile Japanese director to work on it. Mhm. And and some a pretty stacked cast all things yeah. considered. Um they decided to go all out. But what's weird is they went from Toho to Toei. Yeah. Um, which is and why Tokushinka. Yes, yes. Uh, which is why you will never see a, a actual box set of all the Star Wars movies because of this. Um, from this yeah. point on, there were some rights problems with the Star Wars franchise, so we'll, we'll unfortunately never get a true full well, box set. You never know. Maybe but, Shout Factory could do their magic like they did with Friday the 13th. Shout Factory might, or maybe Criterion or uh, Discotech. You know, any of those companies. Hmm. Yeah, give us give us the original Star Wars quadrilogy yes. on on Blu-ray, the real yes. films, not well, not whatever I, George Lucas uh, made up after watching all of these. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, what is the movie we're covering? It's it's like the War in Space, but it's different. It's, um, it's like a place where fantasies are real and reality is fantastic. Is it Warning from Space? No. No? Oh, what is it? It would be kind of weird to do Warning from Space uh, after War in Space. That's right. That's right. Yes, Warning from Space is like a a dumb knockoff movie that that came came actually... All all of these films. (laughs) 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 That's not true. I'm not that stupid. It's all for the bit. No, he actually is that stupid. Don't believe Rex. Believe what you want to believe, viewers, but the truth is out there. 
but uh, it came out April 28th, 1978 in Japan. It was, uh, wait. A day after, oh. a, a, a day before we're filming this <laughs> was the anniversary. Two days ago. Two days ago, it Not was two the... two days ago. Hang on. 88, 98, 08, 18. Oh my, it was the 45th anniversary two days yes. ago of this movie. Yesterday. Not two days ago. It's the 30th. Yeah, it came out on the, the 29th. 28th. 29th. Maybe it premiered on the 28th? My sources said the 28th. Huh. Mine said the 29th. Discrepancy! I'm going to say you're wrong and I'm right. I mean, to be fair, when I got the budget for this, it said between 5 and 6 million. Mm-hmm. So, like... There's like a one gap between all the numbers for this. I mean, from what I understand, it it kind of depends on which company was saying it. Because I think one of the companies, either Toei or Tokushinka, I don't remember, said that it was a 1 billion yen project, while the other company was saying it was 1.5 billion yen. So... But either way, it was the biggest uh, budget for a Japanese film at the time. Yes. Um, since then, there's been plenty of other films that have surpassed it. But Even from if the you... same director. Right. Uh, which we'll get into. But I will say this. This film still is in the top 50. Um, really? Because the top 10 ends at like 1.2 billion. There's not been a whole lot of films since that have like. What is number been, one? Out of curiosity, um, number one is uh, oh, I have it. It is uh, uh let me. Evangelion. <laughs> oh no! It, it's uh, it's the Final Fantasy movie. Oh. Uh, the well, Final like Fantasy animated one from a few years back. Yes, it had a sixteen point seven billion yen. Uh, budget it actually like destroyed the company and was a financial failure <laughs> um number two interestingly enough is a film from the 90s called uh solar crisis it was a co-production between japan and the united states and it's tokusatsu so eventually we will cover it damn um mm-hmm. i don't think i'm familiar with this one hmm. you will eventually eventually you will be yes i will uh, be forced to be Yes, you will. So that's there's a lot to uh, look forward to when it comes to the big budget Japanese tokusatsu films that we will eventually cover. Mm-hmm. But without further ado, I think we should just tell the viewers what we're covering because they totally didn't look at the podcast square or the title for this. Mm-hmm. We are covering the third film in the Star Wars franchise, Message from Space. Mm. Yes, the 1978 Toei film. <laughs> Which was directed by Kenji Fukusaku. Uh, he also co-wrote the film. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody, and I, I don't want to dive into the cast and crew because there's a lot right now. But for anybody who doesn't know who Kenji Fukusaku is, he directed The Green Slime, uh, The Battle Without Honor or Humanity series, uh, Shogun Samurai, which we've mentioned, we mentioned last episode, mm-hmm. um, and a few other times, Virus, a.k.a. The Day of Destruction, uh, Samurai Reincarnation, Legend of Eight Samurai, and the uh, very popular uh, action Royale. movie, 
Battle Royale. So he has, and that's just and one like a, a sequel. This is true. He did. Um, and his son directed the sequel besides that one scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fukusaku has done a ton of stuff. Like, I, I don't want anybody to think that he's just done that. He has done a ton of stuff. Mm. I just picked the stuff that people might recognize or would his know most well from known work. Yes. Do you want to talk about production here, Rex, or do you want to talk about the movie first? Well, let's let's give a brief introduction to the film for its okay. production, I'd say. Do you want to start us off? Sure. So this film sort of began in 1975, interestingly enough, before Star Wars had came, come out from the release of of all films, Jaws. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was the birth of the blockbuster that inspired, uh, wasn't it the CEO of Toei to yeah. like look into doing his own blockbuster? Yeah, Shigeru Okada um, was inspired by Jaws to sort of make some more big uh, films, you know? And mm-hmm. so this led to the creation of one film known as The Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds, but also a project known as uh, Devil Manta. Yes. Which, which was um, had the involvement of director Nobu Hajime Sato um, and a screenplay by Susumu Takahashi with also collaboration from um, Shotaru Ishinomori, who was the creator mm-hmm. of Kamen Rider. And the other two and- I mentioned... Uh, have been very involved in in both the Kamen Rider and other Toei Tokusatsu series like Metal Heroes and Sentai. Mm-hmm. And Devil Manta was going to be a kaiju movie. It was about a giant space uh, manta ray mm-hmm. that came to destroy the world. And that was just one of, I think, there was uh, three drafts for mm-hmm. like big budget blockbusters for Toei to produce. And none of them got off the ground. Uh, I did. I do want to point out to me, it felt like they might have reused some sets from Legends of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds for a message from space, specifically towards the end of the film when uh, the planet's caving in and like pulling apart. The cinematography there felt a lot like uh, Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. I don't know if you've seen it. I just recently watched it for the first time. But I, I definitely I recommend it. <laughs> okay. But it, like to me, it just looked very similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of the same staff had worked on the film. So maybe it could also just be, you know, a similar visual style contributing mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. But so, keep yeah. going. Um, eventually, in 1977, a, a little film called Star Wars may have been released in the United States. It It's not the original Star Wars, though, because Hidden Fortress exists. So, right. you know. But you know, yeah. it's, it's more of just an, a wannabe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and during this time, Toho produced uh, The War in Space and then also came about the uh, Space Battleship Yamato, Yamato series. I almost said Yamada. <laughs> Which, uh, in 1978, correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, cut up and made into a compilation film. Uh, I believe so. 
I don't know too much about space battleship Yamato. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the producer of, or sorry, the head of Toei saw Star Wars and saw, you know, that Toho had already capitalized it and decided to change, uh, to essentially just scrap Devil Manta and, and shift their focus onto a project, onto a more sci-fi space opera type project, much right. in the same vein as, you know, Star Wars, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Which is where Toei brought, uh, Fukusaku, uh, Ishinomori, who, as we've mentioned, was already one of the minds. Right. He, and he had worked on Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, Kikaida, and Azuman. Yeah. Uh, Robot Detective, Cyborg 009, Skull, uh, Skull, uh, Golden, Golden Bat, uh, Skull Man, I mean. Um, Mm -hmm. and he even, uh, went on to inspire like go Nagai and was the mentor uh, who would yeah. uh, for go Nagai who would develop like devil man and, and cutie wasn't honey his and all mentor, that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't um, Ishinomori's mentor um, Osama Tezuka? The... I believe so. Yes. Yeah. And he which was, is, rel- you were about to. a crazy lineage of mentors when you think about it. <laughs> and can you explain to anybody who doesn't know who he is? Why that's um, so? He um, he created Astro Boy, which has been hugely influential on both the manga and um, manga and anime scene. I think he also created Tessujin Twenty Eight. If I'm yes, right. I'm I'm like ninety nine percent sure he did. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which like basically jump started the mech genre. Yeah. One of Which, the most important manga creators of all time, essentially. I mean, I'd argue all three of them are like legends. One hundred percent. All three are absolute legends in in Japanese pop culture in general. Mm-hmm. So, out of your the writing team, you had Fukusaku, who had previously done a space opera, The Green Slime, and had done Samurai, and then you had Inshinomori, who took inspiration from a novel from the 1800s called uh nanso satomi Hakenden, Hakenden, which is translated to the eight dog chronicles um that manga basically follows uh this clan as they're about the satomi clan as they're about to be wiped out they find eight warriors to help defend them Mm -hmm. um the novel was written by uh oh god I hate this myself for forgetting who wrote it uh <laughs> Takizawa Bacon Bakken B A K I N Bacon Bakken how's it spelled again B A K I N Bakken Takizawa Bakken 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 um it was it was a serial novel, so like a novel like would come out, and it was like a twenty eight year period, um, from like I think it was eighteen fourteen all the way to eighteen forty two. Oh wow! That the novel was produced. Wow. 
So it's a very long novel, but essentially it's about these eight heroes being chosen to save the Satomi clan by the invaders, which you can very see. And if I uh, very much see in message from space and oh, from my, my understanding, that was something Ishinomori wanted. Like that's where that influence came from. Um, <sighs> I had it written down who, who came up with that or not written down. I, I saw it, but I didn't write it down. I'm uh. pretty sure it was Ishinomori. Um, because the third per- cause there's three writers for this film. The last one, Mashihiro Noda, he was somebody who backed Space Battleship Yamato. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the supporters for that anime and the compilation film. But not only that, he was one of the lead people in charge of bringing Star Wars to Japan. He okay. translated the Star Wars books and supervised the television broadcasts for the Star Wars film. Um, so you had Fukusaku who came in with kind of that samurai background, which you can really see in this movie. Mm. Um, Ishinomori who brought the, uh, novelization adaptation and then Noda who brought the star Wars influence and those three creative minds together meshed message from space. Mm. With that bit of context, do you think we should, Begin with the film? <laughs> I mean, we can. We absolutely can. Um, full disclosure, I watched the United Artist English adaptation. Um, As did I. I. Okay. I wasn't sure if we watched the same version or not. We never communicate that. We just watch one and we talk about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the United States, Message from Space is only available through a now out-of-print DVD or Blu-ray. Um, Shout Factory licensed it through MGM, which owns the United Artists Library, and that's how they released Message from Space. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't work with Toei whatsoever, Mm -hmm. uh, which is unfortunate, but a lot of Toei's films are like that, such as uh, Terror Beneath the Sea, another Sony Chiba title, Um, Neptune, Invasion of the Neptune Men, Prince of Space, um, uh, Johnny Sacco and his giant flying robot and Voyage into Space, those two t- uh, titles specifically are also owned by United Artists, uh, now owned by MGM, which is now owned by Amazon. Uh, if you want to follow the linear passage of uh, who owns the rights to this stuff. So now Amazon owns the rights to me- uh, Message from Space, Johnny Sacco and his giant flying robot, and Voyage into Space. Hmm. God forbid they actually do anything with those rights. And they, I'm pretty sure, own uh, Young Gary Monster from the Deep as well. Wait, really? Because, yeah, because the AIP library um, was purchased by MG, uh, by uh, Orion, which was purchased by MGM, <laughs> which was purchased by uh, Amazon. So tech, it, it's maybe somewhere in an Amazon warehouse now, there's a uh, prints of like... Mothra versus Godzilla and Destroy Monsters and all the Gamera films um, and anything that you uh, AIP released. So that could be like Frankenstein or Hedera, Atragon, I think, as well. Or uh, I mean, Atragon is on Amazon Prime, so. So, I mean, it, I mean. <laughs> 
the likelihood of Amazon going through the MGM Orion AIP vault to like get the stuff is pretty slim. Yeah. Um, I mean, Arrow already did that prior to Amazon's purchase, and they got some really nice scans of all the Gamera uh, AI TV versions. Mm. Uh, but I don't, I don't see them ever going back and like doing this in the Shout Factory or like Arrow. Arrow has really promoted uh, Fukusaku, so maybe eventually they do a message from space or Green Slime release. I don't know. Hopefully. Hopefully. But yeah, going into this film, uh, we were introduced to some uh, landscape shots of some of the miniatures. And I have to say, I love the miniatures in this movie. Hmm. Oh, yeah, they looked really nice. Um, I know a lot of people um, criticize the special effects of this film, like a lot of reviews, even from like, you know, some of the tokusatsu um, sources that I was reading criticized the effects, but honestly, I thought for the most part the effects in this film look pretty, pretty good for seventies. Like, mm-hmm. it's still got that, and it's got a bit of a cheesy look, obviously. But all things considered, you know, looks all right, I'd say. <laughs> right, and and another thing, and I I don't mean to say this to bash Toei, but Toei. On the Tokusatsu side, like, oh, they they are not lacking. What, uh, they are not what Toho or like sixty Superaya were in any capacity, right? But I think in this case, comparing Warren Space to Message from Space, Warren Space is not as detailed as Message from Space. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, definitely. I, mean, I Warren I, Space is a shorter film with. Maybe not less, but mm, less special effects. effects. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, because there's only consider the runtime, right? And there's only like three or I know there's four, four or five spacecrafts in that. In message from space, there's at least half a dozen. Yeah, Um, I mean there should be more special effects in this film, given it's more expensive. Yeah. And it um, took up, and the special effects budget took about forty percent of the budget, right? And then the the rest of it went to Vic Marlowe. <laughs> <laughs> Marlowe, Morrow. Oops. Yeah, I think you need to. I think you need to work on your English pronunciations. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm not. I am horrible with names. <laughs> but no, and and even like I'm going to be honest, the spacecraft in this. Reminded me a lot of Alien. Mm-hmm. I don't know oh, if you. I oh, mean, like the um the the Gavana. Yes, the Gavana. Um, and all the like tiny spacecraft. I mean, like the detail on them. Just, yeah, I didn't pick up on like the Alien one, but just thinking about it, yeah, it actually does look kind of similar to the Nostromo. Um, which is funny because it predates Alien. It does. Um, granted, like also Star Wars had a similar look to it. Yeah, I mean oh, that I was. Just... I definitely felt like the Star Destroyer vibes in the design, mm-hmm. but honestly, you actually are kind of right about the Nostromo aspect as well, which I love. Like I will always welcome seventy spacecraft looks. Oh, one hundred percent. They were so detailed and like bumpy and like shadowy, mm. and I love that about like the retro looking spacecraft 
Mm. But after we get some establishing shots of a now-destroyed planet, we uh, also have an an English narrator that's basically doing the Transformers series narrator before he did it. Even sounds <laughs> a lot like him. <laughs> he does. I was like, I'm expecting him to be like, the year is 2005. And the, trans- and the Autobots have established bases on Earth's moon, Cybertron's moons, and Earth. They should get the original narrator to do Res as a base. <laughs> or they should get him to do the first Transformers animated movie narration. I don't know if you saw that news headline. Yeah, I did. (laughs) Transformers 1. I love the fact that on Twitter, um, that Variety article had like a fact fact checkers. Yes. (laughs) And it was like, for more context, there was a 1985 or 86 Transformers movie. Animated movie. That was was animated. I was like, I love that. That's perfect. The Twitter but, fact check feature is so is so good. It's so funny. I love it. It's funny. Um, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we're also introduced to a dying race of people that have basically went through genocide yeah. as the uh, Empire wannabes have taken over their planet because it was once a very lovely place. Um, yeah. The, the Gravanas. As uh, the... Uh, peace well, the victimized race is called what are they called again uh, i think they're the jalusians or at least that's the name of the planet is like jalusia yes um but the gravanas i guess are just looking for the best planet to colonize make themselves <laughs> well later on in the film it's established that's like for their palace so mm-hmm. i guess they just want something to like brag about yeah is this all about bragging rights? Mm. I guess so. Um, we also get, uh, during this whole sequence, we get the exposition dump about how these space seeds, there's eight of them, uh, will travel to uh, eight warriors that will help save the race of people, what's left of them at least, and keep them from going extinct. Mm. Um. They look like Dragon Balls. Yeah. And what's funny is... The original story did inspire Dragon Ball. (laughs) It did, which I thought was really cool. Um, Even one of the producers on this show, or not show, this this movie, um, Tan uh, Takawa? 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 Uh, he was a producer on Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Digimon for, for Toei. Oh, wow. So, it oh, all yeah. goes Dragon full... Oh, Dragon Ball is a Toei franchise. I forgot it about is. that. <laughs> so, it's the biggest I mean, franchise, arguably. It is. So, I, I mean, Message from Space kind of was like... Uh, I think it was both uh, Patrick Makas... Uh, and August Ragone both uh, noted that Message from Space, while kind of a a bomb on the international scale, is very important to the tokusatsu and just Japanese culture because it it predates so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and while being a Star Wars knockoff, it 
it definitely like projected Toei into like eventually doing Dragon Ball. Um, I mean, even as a Star Wars knockoff, it's interesting that there's a couple, there's like one or two sequences here that seemingly, you know, predicted future Star Wars films. <laughs> and I, I want you to, I didn't pick up on that. I'm not much into Star Wars, but I definitely like, please tell me where those are at because I, I I'm really curious about that one. Uh, so, you know, the sequence um, near the end that's sort of like where they're in in the trench and they're trying to destroy like the fortress. Yes. Yeah. So that whole sort of like trench run sequence, basically, that is basically just the attack on Death Star, to, the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi, <laughs> huh. which didn't come out until like 1983. It makes me wonder if Lucas, I mean, a, a pre-established fan of Japanese cinema, it makes me wonder if he watched Warren Space and Message from Space and took any Possibly. inspiration from it. Possibly. I mean, there's a couple of other authors who speculated the same thing. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was reading J.L. Carosa's uh, book because he had a brief section on Message from Space, and he, he poses a very uh, similar question to what you're saying in that. Hmm. Interesting. I also know that Toei would later reuse footage from Message from Space in Bioman, Just Beyond Spielbahn, uh, Matilder, uh, Jira, uh, Jan Person, and Buru Saweto. Um, Do you know what sort of uh, footage that they use? Was it like any like the miniature stuff or something? It or? was it was the miniature stuff, okay. um, destruction sequences and whatnot. Uh, okay. They used that in episodes sense. of those Metal Hero series. That makes sense. I mean, um, I mean, speaking of like its influence on like metal heroes um i believe the so this film has a fair bit of like compositing right Mm -hmm. and i believe so they use like a a new type of system i think it's referred to as the ecg system in my sources okay and basically they would they would film scenes and they would be able with this new method they would be able to composite essentially however they wanted they had a lot of freedom with compositing mm-hmm. compared to like previous systems um but the only issue is they'd have to convert it to video um leading to the sort of lower quality grainier look right and from what i understand that is essentially from this point forth that is essentially what toei would use for most, if not all, their compositing for the next few years. So they'd use it in Metal Heroes, Kamen Rider Black, etc., etc. Right, because it's, it's and I'm pretty sure Superaya would end up uh, following suit because probably all of all of their Tokusatsu stuff was basically on video. Yeah. Um, well, Superaya, Su- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they mastered that on video, I believe, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Like Tiga, Fruit yes. Out. But so uh, so was all of uh, Super Sentai, to my understanding. Yeah, yeah, um, and and Kamen Rider as well. Um, mm-hmm. Up until around like mid mid to late two thousands, when they switched to HD video or digital, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I could be wrong. I 
There, there's people who know a lot more about about the history of Carbon Riders Masters than I do. I mean, fair. And I will that's say, besides though, the point, anyways. <laughs> uh, the compositing, I, I, I wrote in my notes that the headshots of the spacecraft coming towards the camera look atrocious. It's really shaky, really grainy, really dark, and it just it never really worked, mm-hmm. um, which is something I wasn't a huge fan of. Uh, um, I'll say... I'm I'm used to it, having having seen Kamen Rider Black, <laughs> and other and a little bit of Toei's other stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's fairly common in those shows. Okay, so it just became a Toei trope eventually. I guess you could call it that, <laughs> or I guess a effect, uh, practice or yeah, it's not uncommon to see in uh, Toei productions from. After this film, yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, that goes to show that, like, this film was, like, fresh meat for Toei when it comes to their effects department. Like, they, mm. following this movie, they, they, I mean, I would argue that because of how big they made this budget, they kind of revolutionized their, uh, their effects studios. Um, which led to bigger and better products, because from what I've heard... Like Common Rider Black and Black RX are way better compared to the other show, Common Rider shows. Like following them, like the, the suits in Black are, are fantastic, honestly. Like the Kaijin suits, take compared to like seventy one, there is a substantial increase in the quality of the suits. They are very, very detailed in Black by comparison. Mm-hmm. And another like Kaijin. <laughs> and something else I wanted to point out about the budget is this film came out right before the oil crisis of 1980 mm-hmm. uh, for Japan. So like this was on the brisk of like financial collapse. So like if this film had came out any later, it probably would have bombed and would have ruined Toei uh, with that budget, con- considering that budget. But because mm-hmm. it came out when it did, it was able to like – hold its own and because Toei spent all that money on those effects for me- oh, message from space they could reuse those assets for mm. their upcoming tokusatsu stuff which probably led to them having the upper hand which kind of projected them into being able to produce content as Subaraya especially like stepped back because they couldn't do that anymore mm-hmm. so on it like I've, I know there's people that have asked the question, how did Toei continue to produce content well into the 1980s following the oil crisis? And maybe it was because of, you know, for for my short film, I've put in a lot more money on it, but it's assets I can reuse. And because of that, I'll have better content. Mm-hmm. Because I'll have better content, like I don't have to spend as much on future endeavors yeah hopefully um so at least from my from my standpoint i would argue that because of to toei's budgetary use on this film it helped them stay afloat and be the definitive tokusatsu production company for the next decade and a half hmm perhaps perhaps um but that I mean, we're we're way off the plot of this film at this <laughs> point. Um, we're we're over here telling you why Message from Space is a very important film. 
Yeah. Um, and we've barely even talked about our felons yet. We have. Um, but I mean, we don't really go very far with the villains. Um, with they're this kind establishment. of just introduced, just introduced right. to them, and that's it. We have our Darth Vader wannabe, um, and our Emperor predating the actual Emperor from Star Wars. This well. is true, and she's sitting in a throne. Mm. Exactly. So that's actually a really good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. But yes, we're established, we're given more context. Our emperor is actually a little more uh, experienced than the actual villain, Mm -hmm. which, uh, I mean, leads to the eventual demises because he's so cocky and not as careful as our emperor is suggesting he should be. Yeah. Um, It should also be established it's mother and son. Yeah. Because he's okay with letting the the princess and her sidekick get away, um, whereas she's like, you need to destroy them. They've sent out the space seeds, and because of that, if they if all eight of the warriors band together, we're screwed. Mm. And thus begins the Star Wars trope of the Empire going after Princess Leia, except it's the Gravanas going after her name is princess uh esmelda yes e m e r a l i d a emerald emerald let's just call her the princess for for simplicity the princess yes uh so i mean they almost defeat her they're like pummeling her ship which looks a lot like the villain ship from war in space yeah. Um, both are designed to be like actual ships, which I yeah. thought was interesting. Which, I mean, that's taking direct influence from Space Battleship Yamato. Mm-hmm. Um, at least to my understanding, like that's where that comes from. Huh. Whereas in Warren Space, it was not only that, but the Goten took influence from Battleship Yamato in this. And the Gotengo. Uh, and the Gotengo. Uh, whereas in this film, uh, it's just that ship is taking influence from Space Battleship Yamato because Space Battleship Yamato is based off a boat. Oh. Um, following this, we are we're introduced to our three main characters. Yes, we're introduced to our three main characters. First with, of course, the American of the cast. One of them, at Big least. Laura. Uh, no, not yet. We're introduced ah. to the, the female yeah, first uh mia maya um yeah. and of course she's sitting in a space shuttle drinking mm-hmm. which i thought was just really funny um she is the daughter to a very rich general um and because of some home problems she's being shipped off to another planet while things are settled at home mm-hmm. um and on her trip space Space pirates? What are they called? Uh, I don't know. I couldn't really understand what they were saying. We'll call them space pirates or sp- sp- space rebels or something. They're they're like punks. They're space yeah. punks. Um, they speed around the galaxy, going in places they're not supposed to, just like hijacking and having fun. Yeah. Um, they interrupt her travel. 
and she's actually really excited to see them. They, she thinks they're really cool. This is also where we're introduced to space fireflies, which is nuclear waste. Mm. To my understanding, it's like atoms from nuclear weapons or nuclear power that have just been dumped in space. Been dumped in space, which I wonder if that was anything to do with like nuclear waste and how we don't deal with it and eventually it'll leave a mark. I don't know. I do know later on in the film there's some nuclear metaphors. Um but we'll get into that at, when we get to that point. Huh. Don't think I picked up on those. I'm actually curious. Um while they're having their fun our space rebels, the police or the is it the it's the Space Federation. That's what they're called, right? Something like that, yeah. The Space Federation shows up and tells them to pull over. <laughs> and they're like, nah, we're not doing that. Mm. Um, Let's just risk so, our lives. So they play chicken and like they, they mess up the the police spacecraft. But their spacecraft also start to break. Um, we find out that it's because uh, the space seeds lodge themselves in the spacecraft and have led them to crash landing. Um, funny enough, when they crash land, they suddenly transport to Earth because there's electric poles in the background and trees while they're supposed to be on a different planet. Um, it should also be established that Earthlings at this point in time found a way to travel throughout space and have colonized every planet in the Milky Way and beyond. They don't really expand on like where this takes place and what's going on, but we're just kind of told to. We're just kind of thrown into the world. (laughs) Yes. With minimal context. So then it cuts from all of that to our two main characters, which are the space rebels. Um, One of them played by Hiroyuki Sonata and the other one, Philip Kasanoff. Uh, the less cool co- one. The less cool one. Uh, their character names are Aaron and, and Shiro. Shiro. Mm-hmm. They're dishwashers for this cantina that... Whom are in debt to not jab at a hut. But another fat dude. Um, but they're not in debt to him, technically. They're in debt to oh, Jack, true. who's our... Who's our Han Solo of the group that I feels guess. more like a circus? I mean, honestly, uh, I feel like these guys feel more like the Han Solo. Everybody's general, Han Solo in this. <laughs> there's there's no Luke Skywalker. There is an Obi Wan. There's two Obi Wans and there's three Han Solos. Mm. Um, but in the cantina, there's a bunch of women dancing and like golden bikini looking outfits which was a star wars thing i picked up it was i wrote in my uh, notes predicting the metallic bikini that uh, princess leia would wear in return of the jedi um <laughs> i thought that i mean i don't know if that's like at all true but like i thought it was cool that it it did predate that mm-hmm. you just wanted to um, write about metallic bikinis no <laughs> Uh, but yes, so Jack lent uh, 30 gold pieces to uh, Shiro and Eren to re- fix their spaceships. Yeah. The 
actual guy who had the money tells Jack he wants it back. Jack then tells him he doesn't have it. That's when our Jabba the Hutt character, who I'm pretty sure is nameless, um, yeah, breaks into the the dishwashing room and is like, "You need to give me my money back in thirty minutes, or I'm gonna kill all of you." And we never see this dude again. Yeah, this subplot is dropped. Well, it's not dropped; like it's relevant, but by the time it's relevant it feels like 30 minutes has passed it feels like like three days have passed Mm. so like did they escape did he like die like what happened nobody knows Mm. he just forgot about them he forgot about his money you know apparently and this is where maya uh appears after the little kerfuffle and is like hey so we find out she knows them they're all friends. Jack knows her too. Like they're all friends. Yeah. Somehow. Um, this is where we're introduced that she's rich and whatnot, and that she's willing to help them get the 30 pieces. If they help her go get a space, space firefly for some space reason. fireflies, I guess just cause it looked pretty. Yes. Um, Gotta during this that pretty nuclear waste. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was like. They say it's nuclear waste and you want to keep it. Very American. (laughs) Um, Also, I forgot to add, this is where we're introduced to General Garuda. Um, He's introduced as he's... Yes. He's introduced by shooting a rocket off into space, which is a funeral rocket for his robots of 30 years. Biba 1. And we're also introduced to Biba 2, his new robot. Mm-hmm. Who makes um, R2-D2 noises. Yes. There's also Star Trek sounds during this sequence, or it's during the uh, sequence where they're working on the space shuttles, our space rebels are. There's like Star Trek uh, bridge sounds that are mixed in. I mean, the the soundtrack for this movie, every time a character, um, every time like the seeds are relevant... So like whenever there's a shot that focuses on the character looking at the seed, they play a they play this track and it's basically just Princess Leia's theme from Star Wars. Like <laughs> almost beat for beat. The like borderline the, the same song. And they play I it like that. eight or nine times throughout the movie, if not more. And then they play like I think there's another theme from Star Wars that they play. I don't know what theme it is specifically, but it's like, it's some sort of like action theme. It might be like the rebels theme or something that gets played as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So then like he's video called by his superior and he's like, what was that missile? And he's like, it was a funeral for my robots. <laughs> um, and he, and, and he resigns then, before getting fired. Real captain Gordon moment there. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) I mean, they both have the same mustache. This is true. And they're both American. (laughs) This is very true. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So from here, he walks off with Boba 2, and then we're transferred back to our main cast. They go look... Main cast, uh, Vic gets the top billing, um, but they are our main characters. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, they go looking for the space fireflies to get the 30 pieces of gold so they can pay off their debt. They get there. They find out they can't actually get them. And she's still like, well, we're going to get them or you're not going to get money. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Yeah. Just whatever. But eventually Fine. they spot the uh, the ship, the princess's ship, and take an interest in that. And they go on it, and they find... Also, during this whole thing, gravity and air, like, yeah. some... Like, like that, what? That was one thing I, I noticed where I'm like, uh, usually you'd have to have... Usually in these types of movies, you have a full space suit. You're yeah, not just so they... covering your mouth and nose. And, like, there are characters who don't even bother to cover their mouth and nose, like Vic Morrow later when he's in space. Right, and that's the thing is, like, so when when they're, when they go out to get the space fireflies, they put these masks over their face. And they have these, like, space suits, but they don't really do much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's three of our main characters, and Jack stays in the ship. But Jack doesn't wear, like, a mask to get out. So you think it's, like, an airlock, right? No. There's just a hatch out the, the spaceship, and you're in space. And then they, like, go, like, when they see the the princess's ship, they go back in. They wear the mask still, but Jack doesn't. And then Jack puts one on, and they fly out. But then there's gravity on the ship. And when they enter the ship, the princess and her side character whose name is... Uh, Uroku. Or Uroko. Sorry. Uroko? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I um, can forgive them for not wearing masks, because they're aliens, so... Right. But then, like, I mean, they the gravity still exists, and then they go into the ship, and they take their masks off, and it's like... And, like you said, the later on, like, they don't wear masks, and gravity still exists, and a whole planet moves and there's no gravitational issues and, and oh, it's just Earth's fine. Moon, Nothing, no problem would happen. Uh, or, or, if, if a Earth's planet moon <laughs> blows up. Yeah. Nothing, nothing would happen if the, Earth's, if, if the moon was just casually blown up, you know, no, you know, anything. if anything, if Gorath, the transformers, the movie and transformers, dark of the moon has taught me anything. Earth's moon's very important. If another planet came to Earth, or it wasn't even the Transformers the movie, it was the, it was the, the show. TV show. It was the show. Like it was the first season. The, like the end of the world will come, but it doesn't. Nothing happens. That's one thing about this movie is the movie does not care about anything scientific, whereas War in Space did. Mm-hmm. Granted, I'm pretty sure if Venus blew up, there would be some gravitational problems throughout the universe or yeah. the, the the solar system. And you have like the whole fact there would be a, a shock wave, um, probably some solar flares, some major radiation problems. But it's 70 sci-fi. Who cares about like actual science? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it just... The the whole script kind of has this issue where, like, it just dances around certain things like that. I mean, there's, like, a whole section where, like, where the characters, you know, they crash their ships on, like, a red planet later on. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they somehow got off that red planet with their ship. They 
they I guess they just repaired it off screen somehow. Yes. On a desolate planet with like one extra guy to help them. Right, right. And the movie right. just completely skips over that. The, there's a lot of stuff that the movie doesn't worry about the subplots even when it's, it establishes them. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't worry about the fine details of its story. <laughs> no, it's it. it's too busy trying to move to the big grandiose yeah. fight. Mm. Um, even like the characters, like the reactions, sometimes are just dull. Mm. Um, and it's like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we doing this? And like one that made me laugh was so, uh, General Garuda leaves, and he just so happens to arrive on the planet that our four main characters are on. Yeah. And he's in a bar with Boba 2. And he's drinking and he's drunk. And he gets this this shot of, uh, I think it's tequila, oh. but he says it tastes like scotch. And then the, the, the seed just the magically seed just is in it. And he's like, did you put something in my drink? And the bartender says, no, why would I? And he just goes with it. <laughs> he's just like, okay what's this what's this seed and then and, and he decides like, to just, keep it and he decides to keep it and then he just so happens to break into our main character's house and crash like off screen so that when they come back um i'm pretty sure when they come back jack gets a seed and they're all talking about it um with the princess in oroko who they've brought back to their house. Yeah. And that's where she's like, oh, you guys are the chosen one. And uh, Garuda is like overhearing it and watching as like they argue and whatnot and fight um, because Jack is, is greedy. Is greedy. He, he reminds me of another character from a, a Japanese show or movie um, that wears like the same hat. And I want to say it's a Godzilla movie that like corrupts like crazy punk that <laughs> wears that exact same hat. And I, I don't know what character he reminds me of, but he reminds me of a character and it's going to drive me nuts until I figure out who it is. I hope you never figure it out. Thanks, Rex. Your 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 support's highly appreciated. You're welcome. So. They argue, and then they find out that they're the chosen ones, and she's like, oh, you guys are, are it. You're the ones. And then Gen uh, General Garuda just walks out of nowhere and is like, excuse me, but what is this seed? And then we get the exposition dump about the legend of uh, the eight uh, dog, the, the eight dog chronicle which is eight heroes going to save the world or the race of people from the Gravanas. And this is where everybody's like, nope, not going to do it. And mm -hmm. the reasoning for it is uh, Garuda's just one person. He can't fight by himself. And he says the people that have been chosen are not fighters. Um, Jack is greedy um, and doesn't want to do it. And then uh, Aaron and... Uh, Sonata's character, they're hippies, and they don't like war. They just don't and they were, and they're just like, now nah, we don't want to fight. 
Um, whereas uh, Mira, Mia, Mia's like, you guys are awful. Um, so she leaves. Um, and the princess and Oroku leave too, but they come back. Mm-hmm. I was confused. I was like, okay, what happens after this? She leaves. She goes flying somewhere. I don't know if she's just blowing off steam or what, but then she gets a seed. So now we have five of the eight, right? Yes. We have yeah. Sonata. Your order's Aaron. a little off, but yeah. <laughs> no? Your order of events is a little off because she doesn't leave until um, Shiro, uh, Shiro, Jack, and Aaron have sold the princess off to like, Oh, that that's right. That's right. That whole subplot that is awful. Yeah. Um, doesn't I was getting ahead of myself. really be there. Uh, can you explain that part since I completely like? <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically, for money, Jack, uh, after you know having a little discussion about what they should do with the princess, Jack, uh, Shiro, Jack, and Aaron decide that Jack is going to help them allegedly. So he brings them. He brings the princess and Uroko to this uh, witch and. She says that she's going to help them, yada, yada, yada. Rocco, Jack, and uh, a servant of the witch, who is actually her son, um, go off and Jack and the son try to kill Rocco. They seemingly kill him, but he actually survives. And, you know, the witch tries to get uh, the princess to marry her son. Which is this, he was born on Pluto, and he's a lizard person. Yeah, he's he's got like a weird lizard face, for some reason. And we should also add that the woman is a human. Yeah. So none of this makes any sense. Yeah. It doesn't but matter. But it doesn't matter, because the Gavanas showed up show up anyways right after this, and just kill, well, they don't kill the witch, but they kill her son. And take the princess. Also, there's a cool light whip here. That's basically the the lightsaber for the movie. Yeah. Then they blow up um, the house. And then uh, we find out Oroku is okay. And he's like, no, come back, come back. And it's like, dude, your screaming's pointless. But okay. Yeah. So that's when... Uh, our yeah, Mia when character. Mia finds out, that's when she leaves. And then she gets a seed, she comes back. Forgives and, him, I guess. <laughs> right. And isn't this where they have a change of heart? And like Yeah, I mean they all have like dreams about they, the Gavanas. Yes. With Aaron um having a dream that essentially just communicates to the audience that he's in love with her. Which makes no which sense. Goes nowhere. Yes, it it makes nowhere. It doesn't. It it adds nothing to the film. It, it of does just a bit of character motivation for him. That's all, and some awkward staring. Yeah, that's it. I I wrote in here. I really want to know where the love plot came from. Like, mm. I it just it it appears and disappears. It's it's here for no reason. Hmm. 
Um, whereas Jack and Sonata's character just have this. I mean, joint perhaps it dream? comes from the original story, maybe, where it could be more fleshed out. Maybe. 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 Um. So Aaron's supposed to be our Luke Skywalker, I guess, at this point, even I though he yeah, relates I more guess. to Han. So. I mean, he's too forgettable of a character to be Luke Skywalker. This is true. Aaron, <laughs> the the movie tries to sell Aaron as our main character because he's the one who goes through the hero's journey. He has the refusal of, refusal of the call um, and whatnot. He has those character journey moments. Yeah. But he... But, like, we've got Hiroyuki Sonata here, so, like... Who has brings a lot more energy. Jack is a lot more... Memorable. Uh, memorable. Mira is more of the hero type. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got Vic Morrow um, as, you know, the... The more, leader. Yeah. Yeah, the leader. So Aaron quite literally does nothing, even though he's, he feels like they're trying to sell him as the main character. Yeah. And, we've st- and we've still got, like, another character to introduce who doesn't show up later on, who... F- honestly ends up feeling more relevant by the end. Right, because he does more, which makes sense, but we'll explain that. So, everybody but Aaron gets a seed, and they're like, let's build, let's combine our spaceships together to make one big one. I mean, Aaron had already found a seed earlier, but then he threw it away. He's just mad that it hasn't come back yet. He pouts like a child. Yeah. Um, Which the characters point out. Yes. Um and I this is the birth of Sentai. <laughs> let's come <laughs> let's 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 merge our three ships oh. into one and then we'll have an ultimate one and then let's separate. <laughs> that was the Toei uh board members in the planning room for Super Sentai. <laughs> Between yeah. Spider-Man and Message from Space we got uh, Super Sentai. <laughs> That's not actually true but well, yeah, yeah, because Spider Man definitely predated Sentai, you know? It and did. So did this. Yeah, definitely. So, as they're pouting, uh, the princess is taken captive. And then the Gavanas uh, look through the memories of the witch. I call her the witch. She's not actually a witch, but she looks like a witch. Exactly. Which is how they find out about Earth. Um, and, and the Gavana like, man is like the the leader of the Gavanas, Rock Rockshare? I think that's how it was pronounced. He's like, what is this planet? This is beautiful. I must conquer it. And that's his goal for the rest of the movie. Take over the Earth. Yeah. Yeah, it's Roxa, the seventh, if we're being technical. Let's see. Um, I'm just going to call him Raksha. Fair enough. Um, so this is where the planet they're on turns into Gorath. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly, yeah, they're even the, moving it like they're yes. even moving it like the Earth and Gorath. <laughs> yes, they are. So there's a bunch of dishes, like uh, satellite dishes, on one side of the planet that are actually like exhaust Which is pits to Gorath. To Gorath. Mm-hmm. Where they have, um, like, which, those little bases in, like, Antarctica. Right, that push the <laughs> that push Earth out of Gorath's way. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so they launch and they're like, it becomes the Death Star essentially, but it's a planet. It's like Gorath and, and the Death Star had a child. Yeah. And the moon is Alderaan. <laughs> it literally is so. It, it is. It is. So they're on like fast track to Earth. Um, Aaron's still pouting. Oroku made his way back to their house. Um, he's injured. They're caring for him. Yeah. Uh, he, Sonata. He, he, he forgives him, I guess, very quickly. Very quickly. Um, who? It doesn't really matter, right? None of this matters. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, this movie screams at it. Adam Wingard would love this movie <laughs> as a space opera. This... Adam Wingard said GVK was his submission to do a Star Wars movie. Message from Space is Adam, Adam Wingard. Wingard. Should, re- should remake Message from Space. Absolutely. He would do a great job. <laughs> he could like he beat for beat do everything. For spirit. He would do he it would be in such high spirits of the original. Like, Adam Wingard's first good Japanese adaptation. Because he would understand that nothing matters. <laughs> Just get to the fight. I mean, ironically, this movie takes us takes us time to get to the to the final battle. This is true, but I I will say, I mean, throughout all this, we've been bringing up how like there's a bunch of just stuff that's thrown out. It's still interesting. Oh yeah, um, this film was pretty entertaining throughout. Like honestly, like I probably found it more consistently entertaining than um, War in Space was because it doesn't slow down. Yeah, exactly. War in Space, I felt, just kind of dragged in the last half of it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, when we get to the end of all of this, I I, I really want to dive into comparing them. Since I I, I view them as like a perfect double feature. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, you're absolutely right. And I think part of that, too, is just like in the slow parts, Jack, who is a very high energy character, keeps the, the energy going as his character which is really mm. interesting. And then, I mean, a lot of it's just high energy already. I mean, Aaron and Sonata's character, just they're naturally high energy. I mean, the um, only and, low energy character here really is um, Vic Morrow, <laughs> frankly. But I, I like his character enough yeah. that, that like his low energy works. He's oh, like, yeah, definitely. The, he brings the swagger. It just humor me with the term. <laughs> I feel like you're setting up for another Don Fry comparison. He just brings the swagger that it's like, yeah, you're a, a badass. Yeah. Just like Don Fry. Yeah, no, I, I'd actually agree with that, honestly. Um, And then like his, he has his companion, his robot, which that's a very interesting dynamic. It's, established throughout the film that he like everybody else views robots as machines Mm -hmm. um whereas he looks at them as like valuable like partners Mm -hmm. which might be a little scary um (laughs) but it's it's interesting to see him like care about his robot and treat them like actual living human beings whereas everybody else doesn't Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of he's frowned upon for his com- compassion for robots, and even the robots acknowledge that he has compassion for robots, 
which is a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so as the planet's heading towards Earth, uh, our main heroes, uh, Aaron finally gets a seed, and they all speed off to try and get to the princess. And as you brought up earlier, they crash land on a red planet where we're introduced to arguably the most interesting character in this movie. Yes, Prince Hans, played by the legend himself. Sonny Chiba! <laughs> and I, he is so good in this role. I love it. In um, spite of his fairly limited screen time, all things considered. And I feel like when he is on screen, he br- I mean, it's Sonny Chiba, so like he brings so much. Yeah. Um, but his like he's mostly like covered. Like you can't really tell it is him unless you're looking for him. Mm. Um, because he has that face paint, he has the facial hair, the mask, the the whole set, uh, suit, and a lot of armor. Yes. But you know it's him because of just the charisma and like the just the acting like he he's big his acting is big to me it's it's goddamn sonny chiba <laughs> yeah on, um, on a space horse on a space horse with a sword yes um this is where we find out he's the actual supposed to be the actual ruler of the gravanas but uh our was overthrown by rakshia and his mother who are his like cousins? I guess. I don't know. They killed. They killed. Uh, I don't think they were actually related. I don't think so. But they they killed. Um, they killed Prince they killed Hans his parents. family. Yeah. Yes. Um, which I thought was a really interesting concept. The idea that the Gravanas are not actually a naturally evil race. It's the ruler that did it. I thought that was really it. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah, I I definitely liked having Sonny Chiba as being one of the Gavanas who's just gone a separate way due to being (laughs) exiled. Right. And I wrote that Sonny Chiba is Obi-Wan, question mark. I mean, he has an Obi-Wan moment later um, that we will talk about. So like no, I to me, up on that. I felt like him and Vic Morrow's characters, uh, character are sort of like the Obi Wan's of this, mm-hmm. and Andrew Rocker, I guess as well. Maybe, mm. maybe. I don't know if I would agree with the Rocker. Mm. Maybe I maybe I'm just thinking that because he's old. <sighs> See, I <laughs> his character feels so out of place because he does have a dramatic character change at the end yeah um i mean it makes sense why he would have that but also it doesn't make sense but it happens so quickly that it doesn't make sense right the pacing of this film is a bit odd at times and that's Mm -hmm. i I definitely think that's probably the most egregious example of it yes um but before we get into that so the gravanas tell earth surrender or perish um, our main characters now, we have Hans, uh, Aaron, Sonata's character, and Maya, uh, who all have... Oh, and Jack, who all have uh, seeds. Five of the eight. We're only missing three. They are prepping to go because uh, 
they know it's about time. They find uh on, on not on Earth, but well on Earth when all of the chaos. I mean, Jack's been kidnapped by the Kavanas at this. That's point. right. Jack has been kidnapped. He was kidnapped whenever uh they came and took, or the Gravanas just magically appear and for some attack reason. them. To t- they, yeah, they just took Jack for some reason and blew up their house. Yeah. And then and then they went to go look for Jack, which led to them crashing onto the red planet. Right, which is where they met Hans. But the seeds made them crash? Yeah. So, like, everything happened for a reason, but why would the Gravana... Like, I don't know. It just feels weird that the Gravanas helped that happen. Yeah. It's the Force. The Force brought it. Sure. Sure. Let's just hand wave, hand wave away the writing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the force. Yeah. So Jack's abducted. Uh, Mia, Aaron, and Sonata's character and Hans are prepping to go with Oroku. Um, on Earth, the Space Federation leader steps down and a Japanese leader steps up. Ironic, right? It's a Japanese movie. Mm-hmm. Um who then seeks General Garuda because they were in college or like the military together. Uh, and they did theater together where uh, Garuda played Don Quixote. And uh, the Japanese uh, leader now played Sancho Panza. And the only reason that I know who these characters are is I watched Alf. And in ep- season one... <laughs> episode don't make your uh it's it ain't easy being green alf talks about how he had to play don quixote and how he used a magical tooth to play don quixote in sancho panza so it, it by the it, way it, guys it, this is the number one alf fan i should mention i the fact that i could give you the title of the episode and what season it is in i feel like gives something it ain't easy being green I can give you a whole plot synopsis, too, if you want me to. Jesus. So, okay. This is where the movie starts picking up speed and going like 100 miles per hour everywhere. So our main characters are on their way to the flying planets. General Garuda just... The the seed comes back to him when uh, the Japanese leader and him are talking and he's proposing he be an envoy to try and give the Earth time to fight back. Um, <laughs> when he's proposed this, the seed appears in his drink again and he decides to take the offer. Yeah, He's sent to the planet to meet with our villains. Upon arrival... They try to disgrace the human race by laughing at Jack as they uh, release him. And then because of this disgrace, uh, Garuda challenges them to a duel. Mm -hmm. Which the I this part was funny because the duel. It's a Western duel. (laughs) It's a Western duel. And Garuda's opponent tries to cheat and fails miserably. Mm. And then, like, he gives him mercy, but the funny thing is because it's a Japanese film, and giving your uh, opponent mercy, and I know this because I watched The Hidden Fortress, 
notice the similarity here because Garuda gives him mercy. He's actually disrespected more than Jack ever was. And because mm-hmm. of that, uh, our main villain character decides to dispatch of him really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where Garuda is like, you need to give the earth time because we have rebels that will fight back. And he does not take the, uh, the trap. And he sends Garuda back to tell them that they have to surrender or prepare to die. After blowing um, up the moon. After blowing up the moon. Also, I completely missed the part where all the World War II nuke metaphors were. So while the planet is, like, traveling to Earth, the Space Federation sends three of its, like, star battleships to destroy them. Yeah, And while they're doing it, like, mushroom clouds are everywhere, and, like, they're just destroying the planets. And, like, it's heavily implied that the people that are trying to survive are, like, genocide happens, and they all die. Like, you literally see their bodies, like, be engulfed in flames. But later Mm -hmm. on, like, it seems like there's more of them than ever before. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you picked up on that, too, but I was like, okay. So... Mm -hmm everybody's fine like to me it was like okay the space federation tried to defeat the enemy and they used the most deadliest of weapons and they ended up using nukes and it just made the villains angrier and destroyed the race of people that were trying to seek refuge maybe i was reading too deep into it but remember nothing matters in this film it's all stupid anyways this is true. Unfortunately. But yeah, jumping back here, the moon's gone. It gets older on. And at this point, the Earth should be destroyed. Like, tidal waves should be ensuing and everything. But it doesn't. Everything's actually fine. Yeah. When Garuda's on his way back to Earth, he decides that he wants to go back and fight. Uh... And this is where Jack, Garuda, and Boba 2 Halo jump back onto the planet. And Aaron in space with no mask on. And there's gravity. Um, As Aaron, uh, Maya, Hans, uh, Oroku, and uh, Sonata's character meet them on the planet. Hmm. And this is where it turns really Star Wars-y. Um, they end up meeting. They just so happen to all meet. Uh, they've met the species of people trying to survive. They're yeah. all together. Baby gets uh, one of the nuts as well. They just so happen to have plans to how the villains have their base set up. Yeah. Through the eight seeds. We now have seven of the eight characters. Right as they're prepping to, like, attack, they're ambushed, and everybody's taken captive. Yeah. During this time, too, it's established that they're planning on destroying the planet, and Oroku doesn't want that because it's his planet. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. Thor Ragnarok stole some stuff from this movie. I'm yeah, just definitely, definitely. Taika Waititi definitely looked at Message from Space for inspiration. Yes, yes. Just like how Stanley Kubrick watched an invasion of Astro Monster and took inspiration exactly. from it. Yes. 
Japanese cinema is what created all of cinema. And I'm tired exactly. of pretending like it didn't happen. <laughs> so You having a Joker arc would be really interesting to watch. <laughs> Just saying. It would be really interesting. I see. <laughs> I'm curious how you think that would go. It would it would perhaps be the most entertaining. Well, actually, I do. I know one other. I, I ironically, I know another Elijah, who. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Who's your favorite Elijah? Uh, you, because you're not completely hey. insane. Oh. Keyword being completely. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. You, you you make it sound like I'm joking. Uh, you're not joking. That's why I laughed. Exactly. So Anyways. anyway, back to, back to the movie. <laughs> so all of our characters are in one spot now, and they're all captive. And uh, our main villain says that surrender now or die. And, and then he one of one of you has betrayed you all. To nobody's surprise, Oroku doesn't want the planet to be destroyed, so he switches to the dark side. Yeah. The dark side has he flown switched, through. He switched, like, in, like, five seconds after being told the planet was <laughs> gonna die. So I guess, they, he, they, ha- I guess he had the, the, the Gavani's on speed dial. Yeah, like, it's, or, I mean, it would have been cooler if he was, like, a secret spy the whole time. Yeah, or something. but he wasn't. He wasn't. So, so it makes no just, sense. Yeah, he just had him on speed dial. And then the power of the nuts... The power of the nuts compelled him to switch sides yet again. Yeah. Where he's almost killed, and then we find out he's the eighth member of our group of ragtag heroes to defeat the villains. Hmm. And from this point, Hans becomes awesome and everybody else is escaping to the uh, ship. Yeah. So it quite literally is get all of get everybody on the boat to get out of there as Sonata and Eren get on in their spaceships and uh, blow up the planet. Yeah. Uh, Mia's also involved. They pretend to be uh, a a meteorite, and they split into three, and then they fly real low until they can get in. Mm -hmm. Um, While this is all occurring, Hans is being Obi-Wan Kenobi and, like... Takes absolute charge of the situation. Yeah, like, (laughs) he he kills, like, 90% of everybody. Yeah, going in to fight Roxia, even. Yeah. So like he's he's sword fighting and just annihilating everybody and even when you think he's like losing he just somehow is a badass and wins. And honestly, um, best part of the film. I agree. I concur. So while they're doing that, uh, Garuda and everybody else is getting out, um, fighting. Uh, they get to the ship. They're prepping. They're getting everything started. Um, Aaron and Sonata successfully blow up the the uh, reactor and the entire planet starts to blow up. Hans like gets into the palace 
and like fights the villain and Roxa has like two two swords. He's dual wielding Darth Maul style. Not really. Um he's just dual wielding two swords. And Hans yeah. has one and like if this is Star Wars, you'd think Hans would die. Like I was fully expecting Hans to die here. Yeah. But like eventually Hans just stabs him in the face. Yep. And it then kicks him out the window. Where he falls right in front of his mother and then like the whole room blows up. Yeah. Plot convenience got a plot convenience. And then so I mean, hey, it's Sony Chiba. This is true. So at this point, like you would think that he would stay and like die on the planet, right? Like with his empire. But he somehow magically gets to the boat. Yeah. Doesn't that off- happen off screen as well? Yes. It, and like they're saying only women and children, but then everybody appears. Uh, besides, the leader who sent the eight seeds out and who told them the plans of the of the reactor and has basically been the leading plot convenience person this whole movie, yeah. finally decides that he's going to stay and die on the planet and let everybody else go. Basically yeah. saying that their race is not a place, it's a people. Okay, now I Rag- see a full Ragnarok comparison, actually. <laughs> Ragnarok style, yeah. And so they lift off, he dies, the planet blows up, and Earth contacts them and is like, we're welcoming everybody back to Earth. And that's when everybody decides, no, nah. they don't want to go to Earth. They're going to go find a new planet and colonize it. Hmm. And with that, they sail off into the galaxy, never to be seen or heard from again, besides Sonata, who does a return. So this film also reeks of the 70s. Like, Eren looks like a 70s dude. Yeah. The, both Sonata and Eren have these outfits that look undoubtedly oh, yeah. 70s, and the hairdos are undoubtedly 70s. You see, I love 70s outfits, so a-okay with me. We should bring... Likewise. We need, to, we need to bring that style back, man. I would agree. We need to bring it back. So, this movie is like the Star Wars equivalent to Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> but I also think it's fine because it's not Godzilla vs. Kong. Right, and like it doesn't try to be more than it is. It's just a goofy 70s movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, you can argue, well, GVK is just a 2010, 2010's blockbuster. Yes, but also like it try it's an established serious franchise, whereas Message from Space is not meant to be serious. Mm-hmm. Um it's just not. It was yeah. meant to cash in on Star Wars and it's very obvious it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, especially with that damn music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That they played um, like twelve times or some something like that. Yeah. So, do you do we want to dive into the cast and crew of this, and then loop back around to war and space comparisons, and then wrap it up? Sure. Let's t- let's talk about about the great cast here. <laughs> so before we do, I wanted to bring up there's uh, there was actually a total of three producers on this film. I've already brought uh, brought up one, but okay. you also had Benjiro Umi- Umura, 
Yeah. Uh, who was the founder of Tokushinsa? Tokushinka? Toho. Oh, wait. To- Toho I just realized I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. God. Now, get your Japanese pronunciations right. Oh, oh, as if you're any better. Uh-huh, I am. No, Toho I've Kushinsha. heard your pronunciations before. Toho Kushinsha. Toho Whatever. Kid. Let's let's go with that. Um, he was the founder of it, uh, of that company, who worked on like Lupin the Third. He was Garo falls under that company, so he was the yeah. one behind Garo, um, yeah. Garo Red Requiem. Um, Good movie. And he also worked on Spirited Away, the Studio Ghibli film, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. Um, beyond him, you also had. Yoshihori Watanabe, who worked on Hikider, um, Kamen Rider Zio. He's the he worked on a, like tons of Kamen Rider and Super Sentai. He was really prolific in, in Toei. He's even yeah. the one that uh, pitched the idea to do the Kamen Rider belt merch. Um, really? Mm-hmm. He also was I a am. screenwriter on Kikaida, and he worked on Ring as an editor. Uh, Yo. I don't like. I found that like only on one source, but wait, which ring? Ring nineteen ninety eight. Ninety eight. He okay. worked as a video editor on it. Apparently, incredible man. You also had for special effects, um, Yoshiyuki Nakamura. He was the uh, director behind the effects. He established the Tokusatsu Research Institute that worked on like Kikaida, Kikaida Zero One, uh, Akumazer Akum Three, Spectreman, Giant Robo, Ultraman Taro, Ultraman Leo, tons of Super Sentai and Kamen Rider. He worked on Gappa, the Trifibian Monster. Um, he w- ha- was a protege of Super Raya, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he was uh, working. He was the director of the effects for this film. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, our cast we have Vic Morrow, who was General Garuda. Um, he was in Humanoids from the Deep, which is a Roger Corman sci-fi film. Unfortunately, something he's really notable for is he died in a helicopter accident during the filming of the Twilight Zone. The, the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. He was in Ironside with uh, Raymond Burr. He was in a few episodes of that. Really? Um, little connection to Godzilla King of the Monsters there with Raymond Burr. Besides, I mean, he was an American actor, so he didn't really do a whole lot. Um, Tokusatsu. Of course, second billing, you had Sonny Chiba, uh, who was a Fukusaku uh, regular. He yeah. was in Invasion of the Neptune Men, uh, Terror Beneath the Sea, another Toei film. Golden Bat, another Toei film. The Bullet Train, 1975. Uh, Wolf Guy, both Toei films. Samurai Reincarnation, which was a Fukusaku film, I believe. Yeah, uh, yes, as well as The Legend of Eight Samurai. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Virus. Um, oh, he's in that he too? Was, huh. He was in Virus. He was also in Ninja Wars uh, with Sonata. Yellow Fangs, which also had Sonata. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. 
he also got his start in acting in Seven Color Mask and Messenger of Allah, very early Tokusatsu television shows. He yeah. also appeared in uh, Robot Detective and was in the Metal Hero series Shirvan. Yeah. I mean, his brother um, is a main character in Kamen Rider and is also in Robot Detective. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's also worth noting that Chiba established the, uh, the Japan Action, Action Club. Club. Yeah, which had two of the other cast members of this film, Hiroyuki Sonata and Etsuko Shihomi. Mm-hmm. Who appeared in a lot of Chiba's films as well. Yeah. Um, but that that uh, club is basically what created how Sentai fight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they they were used for a lot of martial arts stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Power Rangers basically exists because of Sonny Chiba as well. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Mm. Then you had your American actors, Philip Kasanoff as Aaron and Peggy Lee Brennan as Maya. They have uh, Kasanoff has no other credits to his name. Um, whereas no, Peggy he does. Lee, he does. He's just does a he? TV actor. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. He's a TV that's, actor. That's why when I looked up movies, he was in nothing came up. Yeah, no. But this um, was, I believe, his first. His uh, this might have been his first role, I believe, actually. Yes, and the only reason he got it was because he did such a good job in a theatrical production of Grease, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um, that's why he got cast in this. Peggy Lee did a lot of uh, like. Small films, nothing really notable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did have uh, you had Itsuku Itsuko uh, Shinomi, who was Shinomi. a princess. She yeah. was in Legend of Eight Samurai. Yeah, um, Kikaida Zero One, of those, um, Japan action films. Yes, Kikaida Zero One, Moonlight Mask, The Bullet Train, Jack Q. She's also um, famous for the Sister Street Fighter series. Yep, uh, you had Tetsuro. Uh, Tanaba, who played Noguchi, he was in Kwaidon, Prophecies of Nostradamus. Oh, he's a very, very prolific Japanese actor. Yes, he was in The Bullet Train as well with uh, Chiba. Uh, Tokyo Blackout, uh, Twilight of the uh, Cockroaches, Gozu, and Japan Sinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miko Narita, who is Roxia was also in Samurai Reincarnation, Ninja Wars, Legend of Eight Samurai. All three of those have Sonny Chiba in it. He was also, pretty... he was also detective in uh, the third female prisoner Scorpion film. Um, Makoto Sato, who was a Roko. He was uh, in the H-Man. He was in the Hidden Fortress. Mm-hmm. There's, our, there's our connection to Hidden Fortress and the Lost World of uh, Simbad. Next on the billing, we have Hiroki Sonata. Which this was his ninth film credit, mm-hmm. according to Wikipedia. Which I don't, I don't know if I trust that. But this yeah, was that's still probably the, wrong. <laughs> it was still, it was very early on in his career. But he was also yeah. a child actor, so he did do some stuff. But um, he would actually go on to be the main star of the spinoff TV series, Message yes. from Space Galactic Wars, which he was the only returning actor for that show. Yeah, but I don't um, think he plays the same character. Which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonata was in Ninja Wars, Legend of Eight Samurai, Yellow Fangs, Ring, Spiral, Ring 2, Jack Q, Message from Space Galactic Wars, 
he is argue like he he is probably Japan's most popular actor. Yeah, he was in especially in the 40, modern day. Yes, he was in Forty Seven Ronin, The Last Samurai, uh, The, the Wolverine Forty Seven Ronin. Yes, uh, Twilight Samurai, Avengers Endgame. I think he John appeared in Hawkeye, John Wick Four. Um, He's only I think in he... Hawkeye for stock for stock footage from Endgame. Gotcha. Wasn't he in the Bullet Train as well? Yes, the, yes. The Brad Pitt film. Yes, yes. But he it does. It has. He has no connection to the actual seventy-five film. Yeah, no connection right. to the Sony Shiba film. This one's based on like some Japanese uh, book. Yes. Um, you had Ishami uh, Shimizu who played Beba Two. Uh, Beba Two. Yeah. And this was his only credit I could find. Allegedly, the vo- the Japanese voice for Baby Two is Machiko Soga, though, who played um, uh, the witch Bandora in Zhu uh, Ranger, aka um, aka Rita Repulsa in Power Rangers. I love that. Mm. Um, Jack was played by Masan uh, Masanu Mazuni. Mazumi, Masazumi uh, Okabe. Yes. Who was in uh, Invasion of the Neptune Men, which was one of Chiba's earliest films. Yeah. Um, the And The Beast and the Magic Sword, which was an American production uh, produced in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you had as uh, Kamesasa, uh, Noboru, Mitsu- Noboru Mitsumi, Mitani. Mitani, who was in Parasite Eve, Sweet Home, Evil Dead Trap, Legend of the Stardust Brothers, uh, Gavan, uh, Shidir, Shid, Shidair? Uh, Shider? Shider, yes. Um, the Metal Hero series. Samurai yeah. Reincarnation, Ultraman Taro, uh, Return of Ultraman, and the Akira Kurosawa, uh, Akira Kurosawa film, uh, Dotsukaden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hideo Amamoto, uh, who played Dark, <laughs> Oh Which boy. is uh, Rakshia's mother. He's a pretty prolific uh, Tokusatsu actor, having been in various Godzilla films, like All Monsters Attack. He's the old man in GMK. Um, and he, he's Doctor Who in King Kong Escapes. Um, and then he's Doctor Shinigami in Kamen Rider as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in The Birth of Japan, Yojimbo, Gorath, Matango, Atragon, Dogara, Ghidorah, Quidon, Ebra, Ultra Q, Mighty Jack, Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Leo, Zubat, Little Superman, uh, Ganbaron, Jack Q, Machine Man, The Red Spectacles, Iko Iko, uh, Azuku 2, Kamen Rider the First. He's probably the most qualified or most tokusatsu listed actor on this list. Mm. He's not the most qualified. Sonata is. <laughs> um, you had Junkichi Orimoto, who was in Kwaidan and The Return of Godzilla, and Harumi Sony, who was in Legend of Eight Samurai, uh, Gozu, he was also the producer of that. He was in Izo, Tokyo Zombie, and Blood. Mm. Um, so yeah, you've got like this was a very stacked cast. Yeah. And that's all I had for the casting crew. There's still tons of other people, but those I wanted to highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you want to, Rex, I kind of want to dive into the comparison here of War in Space and Message from Space. Yeah, sure. Unless you wanted to... So, both of these films took influence from Star Wars, but also took Japanese influence as well. Um, mm-hmm. Both from Toho films. Um, I mean, to say Gorath did not influence Message from Space, I think is kind of ignorant. Mm. And then we know Atragon influenced War in Space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, as we said in our, in our episode, War in Space feels a lot like you know, a culmination of a few different Toho films like Mysterians. Right. Um, we we said it earlier, but I'm going to repeat it. I was more entertained with this film than War in Space. Oh, definitely. The script of War in Space makes more sense, but it also just... It's not as interesting or, as you said, entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the world's... I mean, they go to Venus which everybody, like, at Venus is not, I mean, it is new, but it's also not, like, it's within our solar system, so it doesn't feel, like, Star Wars-y. Yeah, the world is, the the, the sci-fi elements in War in Space are less prevalent. They, they, mm-hmm. this, the whole Star Wars influence doesn't even really come into play until the second half of the film. Right. Whereas here, from start to end, this is very clearly, you know, a sci-fi space opera. <laughs> right. And I would even argue that War in Space is more akin to your 50s uh, space movies than space yes, operas. It definitely feels more like 50s, 60s Toho sci-fi than a Star Wars knockoff up until that, you know, that sort of last bit of the movie. Right. And, like, I love Toho sci-fi, but I can see it's all of that better. It's just been done better. better. Yes. Whereas Message from Space undoubtedly feels like a 1970s Star Wars knockoff that mm-hmm. had enough... possible way. <laughs> that had enough talent behind it to create something of decent value. Yeah. Um, the script is a disaster. I think it's obvious that between your three writers, you had too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it shows. But dare I say, it it was more, f- I had more fun with it than perhaps even the original Star Wars. Controversial opinion. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the original Star Wars is a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more world building it attempts to do, whereas... Yeah. Oh, I'm not. I'm not making any argument that this is a better film. God no. Right, right. But I, I do find this a little more entertaining. I think the last. I, it's I, easier to I, chew. Yeah, I don't find the last stretch of Star Wars all that entertaining. <laughs> that whole Death Star run is iconic, but too long for me. Too long for me. If if you are looking to like Star Wars, I feel like you put in to watch and like follow. Mm-hmm. It's not really a background movie, but Message from Space definitely could be. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really need to follow it to to it's just like whatever whenever you join in on the movie, you basically are where like you have all the info you need. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. So for me, honestly, it's, it's weird to say this, but I think Toho, Toho 
dropped the ball on on the Star Wars knockoff. Yeah, that that I, was I, the exact wording I was going to use. Damn you! I it it goes to show that Toho was really trying to rush and beat everybody to everything by the late nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it came back and kind of hurt them because Toei waited and Toei delivered something better, in I mean, my opinion. I mean, the Toei head was annoyed that Toho beat them to it. <laughs> right, but I think it it ended up being worth it because... Oh, definitely. Toei produced something really fun and really decent. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So with that, like, do we, is it time to like do our comparisons? I guess so. Or not our comparisons, our listings. I guess so. I feel like we are both going to have the same list here. (laughs) Do we want to do what we did last week and just list them off at the same time? Hmm. Should we? Okay, we can. Okay. What order are we going for this time? Best to worst. Okay. On the count of three. One, two, three. The Hidden Hidden Fortress. Fortress. Message Message from Space. space. The The War War in Space. space. Damn. (laughs) I feel like it all depends on the next movie. The next movie, I think, is going to be whether it, like... Yeah, the next movie, I think, is where we... Will either be the exact same, or that's where we diverge. I can see it going either way. Mm-hmm. I already know that I have an opinion. I have not seen the next film before, so I haven't seen any of these films before, actually. So, and for me, it's it's entirely unpredictable. And I, what's funny is I've seen the Hidden Fortress once. I saw War in Space once. I saw Message from Space once, and I've seen our next film once. So for me, this is my mm-hmm. second viewing for all of them. For you, it's your first. Yeah. Have your opinions on these films changed as much as your opinion on the Kawasaki films? Um, so, far, so War in Space, I appreciate So I'm going to be honest. Both Message from Space and War in Space, I'm pretty sure I fell asleep in when I watched them the first time. Damn. Um, I've grown to appreciate Message from Space more now that I've seen it back to back with War in Space. And I think I've, I think my opinion of War in Space has grown more positive, but I think I've also like put it in a position where it's like, you're not great, but I do enjoy you. I see. Whereas Hidden Fortress definitely hasn't changed. That to me has been pretty consistent i mean it's kurosawa right (laughs) you know it will never be better than yojimbo and that i i think to me that's the big thing is i don't know if kurosawa produced anything that's better than yojimbo to me it's called seven samurai (laughs) i disagree i i i think seven samurai isn't nearly as good as yojimbo bad opinion i i think See, I feel like anybody who said like anybody who says like you could say any other Kurosawa film and you could not objectively be wrong. I feel like he's mm-hmm. a director like no matter what your favorite is, you cannot objectively be wrong. Mm-hmm. Like if you are a fan of Honda and you say that 
uh, Dogara is his best work, you are objectively oh. wrong. <laughs> but like, if you're Kurosawa and you say Kagemusha is, you're not wrong. Yojimbo, you're not wrong. The Hidden Fortress, you're not wrong. Rashomon, uh, Dreams. Ron. Ron. Rhapsody and... Ron is beautiful. Like I want to see Ron. I've seen clips, oh, and it I, looks amazing. It is beautiful. Like, it is one of the best-looking films ever made. See, I, I want to watch all 40 of his films, but... Mm. I don't want to watch his later stuff to, like, cover all of his early stuff. I've seen Ron. It is, it is gorgeous-looking. Good to know. Especially the 4K. I, I, I highly recommend... That's a film you got to get on 4K if if you get a 4K player. Well, I'm waiting to see if Criterion sublicenses it, sublicenses it into a Kurosawa box set. Oh, is the is the 4K not out in the US? It is, I think. It may not be. I know it's through Studio Canal. Mm-hmm. So, because like here, it's like the only Kurosawa film outside of Rashomon that's available. See, we <laughs> have a lot of them. They're all through Criterion besides Ron and Dotskadan, uh, uh, I, I think. Because mm-hmm. Dotskadan was Kurosawa's Russian film, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Or no, that's uh, Drezu Uzula, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's the Russian film. That was released through yeah, Fox yeah. Lorber which has not been re-released since then. Um, and then, like... I've actually seen that. Um, I've actually seen that um, release on sale before. <laughs> and then, like, Dueling... I think it's Dueling Guns is another one Criterion had a long time ago, but they lost the rights. Um, they also have all of the post-war Kurosawa film, films on, like, an Eclipse box set, like two of them. And it's like, that's not good enough. Um, and then, like, uh, they at one point had Ron, but it's only on DVD. They've only released uh, Redbeard on oh, DVD. Yeah. And, like, there's like all of those are still in print besides Ron. Um, and you can buy them pretty cheap. So, like, I'm hoping that they release them in on Blu-ray or they do a 40-film box set. That's like three hundred and fifty dollars. I mean, they did a Zatoichi box set, so maybe. And they've done a they've done a Kurosawa box set. It was twenty seven of his forty films, if I remember correctly. But it was all on DVD, and they charged like a hundred or like almost a thousand dollars for it. What? Yeah, if you look up a uh, Kurosawa hundred. Uh, it oh no, it was it was four hundred dollars SRP. That's right. It sells okay, for a thousand now. It sells for a thousand reasonable, now. I guess. But like still DVD, nonetheless. Um, yeah, it's it's Kurosawa. <laughs> Frankly, War in Space and Message in Space did not have any chance. <laughs> Just being honest, this is very true. Um, I mean, considering one was a like 90 day rushed film and the other was a cash grab that was bloated with a budget. Neither of those are going to compare to a, a tour doing his work. Exactly. But no, I mean, and I, I love, I really like this movie. I'm going to be honest. Like I thought it was pretty decent. Oh, I had good fun with it. 
I certainly think it's it's the I've had the most fun with this film. It's the most fun out of the Star Wars films we've covered so far. Damn it, I actually agree with you. Good. I'm tr- I'm trying You see, I'm try I want to be a contrarian here, but for for the first time in your goddamn life you're speaking straight facts here, and it's disgusting. I will take that. But with that, I I feel like I'm kind of out of mm. uh things really to say. We've been talking for about two hours and fifteen minutes here, but I this film I like in, in context, this film's actually really relevant um to Tokusatsu, yeah. which when I read that I was like, eh, are you guys just like upselling it? But no, like when you look at it, this film might have saved Toei. Um, from absolute devastation come 1980. Mm. Uh, it was like the unknown gift that gave Toei what they needed to continue through uh, the I oil mean, crisis. I mean, that could potentially still be overselling it, but nonetheless, <laughs> I, I definitely agree with you that if nothing else, it definitely helped Toei right. <laughs> in the long run. I mean, from what I understand, even though in Japan it wasn't very successful, you know, uh, they still made a profit from the film just through selling it to international distributors, right? Who put it on TV and a lot of that because it a lot of people wanted it. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very much looked at. Uh, I mean, it was riding off the Star Wars craze. So, <laughs> so it it worked. Everyone wanted a piece of that pie, and it worked. Toei got exactly mm. what they wanted, and they had enough that they could pr- produce a twenty-eight episode series following it. And I might actually end up watching that. I need to. I have the Blu-ray. I've just never watched it. You see, I when I was looking up when I was. Re- doing a little bit of a dive on this film, when I realized that Sonata was the lead character, I'm like, hold up, this has my attention. <laughs> and, okay, this is the last thing I will say, and then we can go ahead and plug. Um, yep. It's so weird to see him in his younger roles. Like, I only see him as Ryuji. Like, <laughs> since Ring, he has not aged. Like, mm. to me, that is what he oh, has looked no. like. Yeah, yeah, nah, it's funny. Like, I'm I'm starting to get used to it, to, like, Sonata's younger face. But, like, I remember um, I saw, like, clips. I'd heard that there was a Michelle Yeoh movie that he was in. Yes. It's called Royal Warriors. And um, I was, like, looking at clips on that. And I'm like, where's Sonata? And eventually I realized Sonata was just the guy didn't have a beard. And I'm like, oh, what is this? Baby, You're telling me this is Sonata? Babyface Sonata. I know. The only the but now I can tell it's him just by looking at the way he holds his lips. <laughs> I just wanna I'll I'll say this. Sonata should be in a Godzilla movie. I think he deserves Yes, oh my god, yes. I think he should. Oh my god, yes. Dream Godzilla movie. Hiroki Hiroki Hiroyuki. Hiroyuki Sonata playing the main character. Oh my god, that would be an incredible movie. 
Have him play Godzilla. <laughs> it could work. <laughs> have him fight the Predator. That could work. They should do it. Well, I know they do want to do... Uh, some people have said they want to do a Predator... Uh, a Prey sequel, but it's set in... Uh, like samurai times, please God do it and cast Sonata. And people have sake, said have ten out of ten movie. And people have said they want Sonata to play the samurai. That would literally be a ten out of ten movie. Perhaps it would be. Speaking of ten out of ten, Rex, you produce ten out of ten content, right? I know. I do. I really do. So where can the people find your 10 out of 10 content? Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram at Rex underscore Xeno. You can also check out some of my writing at the Tokusatsu Network. Perfect. And as for me, you can find me on YouTube at ET13 Productions, on Twitter at ET13 Productions, or on Instagram at ET13 Productions. As I've alluded to throughout this recording, I am working on a short film, and it will go live on that YouTube channel. I will tweet about it, and I will probably post it on Instagram. So if you're interested in seeing my upcoming short film, definitely uh, keep an eye out on those platforms. But as for the podcast, you can rate us on iTunes that boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. Right now, we're sitting at a solid 3.1, and I think we're worth at least a 3.3. So if we could get some people to leave some five-star ratings on Apple iTunes, that would be amazing. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. Lies. That's a lie. I'm using a MacBook to do this podcast. You can says that every time. I do. I do. It's almost like this is scripted. Uh, Evil script. Hey. It doesn't have a purpose. That's not true. It actually does have a purpose. I can't even try to say that this is like message from space. You can rate us on Spotify. That's a new feature they have. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju conversation related, you can follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork, but until then, you can support our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even on a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, the conversation had in our server was, let's see here. The most recent conversation was about Takashi Yamazaki's upcoming Godzilla Zero. It's a great community full of great people, have a lot of awesome conversations on there. Definitely check it out. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusives to the channel like bloopers or minisodes. For this episode, there are going to be some great bloopers, so definitely check it out. 
uh, our minisodes cover things like news or other subjects that we don't do in main episodes. We also do a monthly live stream, Kaiju Conversation Live. We recently did one with G-Man from Twitter or on uh, the Power Trip podcast, Jack. He's a great guy, great conversation. We've also talked to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project and Nathan Marchant of the Monster Island Film Vault. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Krzyzewski on the channel. I probably botched his name. I apologize for that. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Definitely check out his link tree. He does a lot of work, and it's very good. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at GiantMonsterBS or on any podcast platform under the name GiantMonsterBS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening to us talk about Message from Space. We have one more Star Wars movie to cover, and then we are going to wrap up these weekly uploads just for a little bit as we slow down and prep for some exciting stuff ahead. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Conversation. Just not too big now, baby. Conversation. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.